Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Taylor Johnson podcast. Coming up later, an interview with Terrence Talley, where we talk mostly about how you can create a culture where vulnerability is possible. But first, uh, I've got an update about what's been going on in my life. And so I'm going to call up Glendon and surprise him with the news. Taylor, what's up? Guess what? <laughs> what? I might have COVID. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, sirree. It I has was... come to me at last. What? Yep. What'd you do? What'd you do? <laughs> Just live my life. I've tried to be precautious. <sighs> I don't know. Okay, so it has come to my church and... Uh, everybody else on staff has tested positive. <gasps> I so okay. Let me let me tell the story this way. Uh, I finish the second draft of my book. I work really hard. Ooh, it's I'm up all night. I'm working. I'm the greatest writer to ever live. You know how it goes. And then oh, yeah. I finish the draft, and I start to feel sick. I get like a really bad headache on Thursday, and it's all day. I have a really bad headache, and then I go to sleep. Friday morning, I wake up, and I've got really bad congestion. And my throat is really sore. And I just think like, can I, oh. can I just stop you right there? That's because it's 40 degrees inside your house. Well, yeah. So that's what I think. I think like, oh, my body is just like super tired. Like usually after a really stressful time, then I get sick. Like once I get out of a stressful season, my I get sick. Like my body is catching up on, you know, dealing yeah. with infections or whatever, you know, bacteria, whatever, whatever. Uh, so I just think like, oh, you know, I just got a little sickness. So I go on a walk around my neighborhood and I get a text from a friend of mine who is also on staff at the church. And he says that he's sick and he has oh, the exact no. same symptoms that I have. And he thinks it's COVID. And I was like, oh, well, uh, oh, because I was like, I, I'm sick, too. But I thought it was just normal sick. <laughs> And then the lead pastor of the church also is feeling sick. And we're all like, uh-oh. So uh, Cameron gets tested. Uh, he's positive. The lead pastor tests. He's positive. I get my test. It's negative. And like, negative. When the nurse comes back in, because they did the rapid test where they kind of put it up your nose a little bit, she comes in, uh, since it's rapid, they like have you hang around and they come back 15 minutes later and they can tell you the results right then and there. So she comes back in and she's like, so it's negative? And I was like, really? And like, she was just as surprised as I was because like I have some symptoms and I've been yeah. around people who all, everybody else would be testing positive. Why not me? And so she's like, do you want to like do the more intense test? And I was like, Whoa. yeah, 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 yeah. What's that entail? So the, the rapid one, they kind of put it up your nose a little bit. Uh -huh. The more intense one, they be scratching your brain. Oh gosh. So she shoves it. I've gotten the, I've gotten this test before. Um, so I was like kind of prepared. Like, I know it's going to feel weird. I know it's going to feel crazy. I'm my, uh, my eyes are going to water, but yeah. it's not going to be that bad. But I think because I was so congested when she shoved it in there and she, you got to leave it in for like 10 seconds. And she's like wiggling it around while it's in there. I start to like 
have convulsions because I'm trying so hard not to sneeze or cough or choke or whatever it is that my body wants to do because it's freaking out. And she stops and she was like, do you need a second? You can cough or sneeze. And I was like, yeah. So she lets go of it. It's still in me. It's uh-uh. just like dangle. It's like sticking out of my nose. And I turn to the side and start sneezing and coughing and crying because it ah. feels so insane. And I do that for a minute and I'm like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. And then I'm like, no, I'm not. And then I like turn away again. I start sneezing and coughing again. And then finally I'm like, all right, you can finish. And then she has to do it for like five more seconds. And then she pulls it out. And I was like, Ugh. and uh, she told me that I wouldn't find out. Like I would, it would be a couple of 24? days before I get the results. Oh, longer than 24 hours. Long. Cause they got to send it away. It's more intense. They got to send it away. And so either yesterday, today, or tomorrow, I'm supposed to get the results. I have not gotten them yet, but I'm just kind of sitting around waiting. That is insane. I was thinking you were going to tell me you got a PS5. No, no, no. I got the opposite of a PS5, baby. So, Dude, well, that's crazy, man. Yep, just isolated from the world as I should be. Okay, so that's what you... Yeah, so you... So you're in self-quarantine mode? Yeah, yeah. So my timer went off. Yeah. And the re- reason why my timer went off is because a new set of PS5s are going on sale or are oh. going to be released for purchase online. Oh. So if you could block out the name of this company whenever I say it. Okay. Because I don't need other people on here trying to steal my PS5 when I'm on here trying to get a PS5. Okay, okay. But this company is releasing them like... 12, 3, 6, and 9. Wow. Yeah. The company's Walmart. I guess it doesn't matter. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so here's what happened. So I, I got online. I'm refreshing, refreshing. Boom. There it is. Add to cart. I click add to cart. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Chastity comes in, and she's talking to me about it big call that she had and I'm watching watching and then it says check out I click check out like I'm talking instantaneously uh-huh. it says check out I click it and then it starts spinning and it's Ooh. spinning so fast that I think it's gonna fly off and hit me in my eye and then all of a sudden oh my goodness hold on wait a oh, second you, we're are you about to get go- it wait Nope, not yet. It, oh. We're close, though. Something moved. So <laughs> I click checkout. It's spinning, it's spinning, it's spinning. And then it says error. I got an error page. It got redirected to an error page. Mm. And then it was like, we're out of stock. And when Ooh. I ooed you just a little bit ago, I look up and I see an item in my cart. Oh. And I, I clicked on it and it said out of stock, PS5. Oh. So here we go. Boys and girls, we refreshing, and it's about to happen, man. So Chazzy no thinks way. I'm slow. She's like, "Well, you're you're not fast enough." I'm like, <laughs> "I can't be any faster." <laughs> I mean, like, I'm not like delaying here. Oh no, I got the error message. Yeah, <gasps> add to cart. Add to cart. Can we just pray real quick? Dear Lord Jesus, please. <laughs> Don't, hey, don't worry about my COVID right now. More oh, importantly, no. oh no, that's more importantly, prayer. Lord, help Glendon to get a PS5. 
Amen. Thank you, Lord <laughs> Jesus. Well, there you go. All right. Hey, dude, well, I, I'll be thinking of you and praying for you and hope you get better and all the people around you. Thank um, you. And um, I'll, I'll be praying that you receive a PS5. A little harder because that one you just prayed did not work. <laughs> okay, good. Fair enough. You're right. Amen. All Amen. right, dude. Keep me posted. All right. All right. Bye. Later. So since I talked to Glendon, I got the results from my more extensive shove a Q-tip way into your brain test. And they said that I was negative, which again is very surprising because I have the same symptoms at the same time as everybody else. It doesn't really make sense, but just as a precaution, I'm going to still take uh, the two weeks quarantine that you're supposed to take if you're around somebody who is positive and you yourself are not positive. So you track two weeks from the last time you were around them. Whereas if you do test positive, you count 10 days past your first symptom and that's when you can go out into the rest of the world. And so I've got another week of being locked up in my apartment, been doing a lot of reading, doing a lot of reading and napping and napping. So that's been my life. But enough about that. On this episode, I have an interview with Terrence Talley. Terrence is a school assembly speaker who travels all around the country. He's been doing it for a long time, does really incredible, high energy, very fun, very memorable school assemblies. I got to meet him at like a 24-hour summit for school assembly speakers and different organizations that put on school assemblies throughout the year because for five years, that is what I did predominantly, is travel into junior highs and high schools and speak on vulnerability, to speak on mental health and bullying and other things. And Terrence does that too. And with what he talks about and with what he does, he has a lot of great insight on the importance of creating a culture of vulnerability. That like, it's not just about one moment where people can open up, but it's about creating a safe place where that can continue to happen. And it's not just applicable for junior highs and high schools. This is, this is stuff that is important for all of us in any walk of life, in any environment. And so I was really pleased to get to have this conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Here's me talking with Terrence Talley. Well, how, how long have you been doing uh, assemblies? Yeah, so I've been doing assemblies ever since I got done with college. And so that was unfortunately, what was that, like 13 years ago? Oh, good Lord. 13 years ago, maybe. Uh, so, yeah, it, what is that? Yeah, 13 years ago. Well, <laughs> I did not realize that. You have like totally blown my mind now. I'm like. Holy smokes, that went by fast. You're old. How does that feel? <laughs> I don't feel old. That's the thing. I feel like just yesterday, I was like, oh, I got to get to class. But now I'm like, oh, man, I got this bill to pay. And so it is it is really weird. But uh, I just, I started doing this full time 
probably about six years ago or so, maybe seven, but yeah, probably six. What, how has your message and presentation changed over the 13 years? It's gotten a lot more deeper and a lot more controlled, if you will. Uh, even besides the content, at this point now, I know where to slow the assembly down. I know where to speed it up. I can go into an assembly and be like, uh, I need to cut this out. Or if something happens in the middle of it, then I'm like, okay, I can like change it up on the spot. And so that comes with many and many of times failing. Yeah, because like assemblies are such a unique beast. Like I feel like there is no other public speaking where like, I mean, like preaching is one thing, but like with, with an assembly, you have a bunch of kids who did not know that this was happening. Most of them, they did not choose to come into this yes. and they are most likely not like they have seen assemblies in the past. They bringing their own expectations of what an assembly is going to be. And so like winning them over that is like so difficult on its own. And then like convincing them that you actually care is so like, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's such a, a wild, it's such a unique set of skills that you have to hone in order to be good at assemblies. Cause there are also all these distractions and you don't know, like yeah. are the teachers going to care? like, you know, the ones where like they are like lining the kids up in a very specific order into the stands or other ones where the teachers are like, I don't know, go find a seat. Like it's just, it's, Every single one is so different. And yeah, it's such a unique set of skills. And, and it's it's one of those things where a lot of times people are just like, oh man, I want to do that. And I'm like, if you are not called to do this, you don't do this. This is <laughs> this is a high rate of, it, it's 50-50. You can either walk in there and everybody's all sitting and listening and they're having all, everybody's having a good day. But man, there are those days where half the school is just like, I hate this. I don't want to be here. And so if you go in there thinking, I'm going to do this like I would preach on a Wednesday night, is not going to work. It, it, they do not translate the same way whatsoever. Uh, okay. How would you describe like the message in your assemblies? The, the, main, the main thing that you're wanting to convey? So uh, the main thing for me is obviously not only just wanting students to know that someone loves them, but also changing the culture of that school and making it so uh, after they leave the assembly, they're not just like, all right, well, Terrence is gone, so we can't all come together, but really encouraging them to, giving them the responsibility to encourage others. And so it's not falling on Terrence but it's falling on everybody. And if they have an issue, they're not trying to email Terrence, even though that does happen. I do get a lot of emails, but they know they can go to their, their teacher and their counselors. And so, yeah, it's like, I love you. I care about you, but let's also set you up for success. So, you know, you're not alone. 
it, it's a much like deeper issue because like I feel like the assemblies that I grew up on were like, let me give you every specific about the drugs that are out there yeah. and why you need to stay away from them. Or let me give you specifics on bullying. But like this one being more of like the heart of the issue that if you can understand that you're loved, then like all these other issues take care of themselves. Right. And there is, there's so many things now that I think uh, even psychology that we've learned about students and it's not just straight up, just don't, don't have sex and we're all good. But it's like, no, let's talk about the, the trauma. Let's talk about why you're doing this. Let's talk about like getting to the core of everything because I don't necessarily care that you're coming in here and you've done all these bad things. I care about the why you're doing them. I care about where did this all start? And I care about making sure that, yeah, you're going to have these choices to make still, but I still think you're great and you can do great things. You are loved no matter what you choose. I um, was watching uh, a sermon that you were giving um, at a church recently and you mentioned that your wife got her master's in counseling or psychology, was it? Counseling, yeah. How so has that shaped? <laughs> How has that shaped um, the way that you? I mean, you you talking about like the psychology and and you know learning about these deeper issues and talking about trauma and the why. And I, I'm sure that that partnership between you and her that that helps shape what your assemblies are like. Yeah, it's it's crazy. We never. It wasn't like when we met, we're like, oh, we're both in the schools and let's do this. It literally, she just found a passion for it a couple of years ago. And my wife, uh, she's she's the type of person, she doesn't wait for me to go, well, what did you think? She'll tell me straight up, like right away, oh, that was terrible. Or don't do that. Doesn't That doesn't make any sense, Terrence. And so she really has, she has helped so much and just the way that I approach different topics, the, even the, down to the words I say, because you can't, now you can't say, hey, your parents, and you got, like, I just learned this recently, don't use the word parents, but use grownups, because not everybody has parents. Sometimes people are living with their, their uncles or aunts, and it's like, you have to say, hey, I know a lot of you guys have adults at home that are there to take care of you, but don't call them parents. And it's little things like that that she's helped me with that maybe the students don't necessarily notice right off the bat. But that counselor, that that principal sitting there is like, oh, wow, he's he's up on this. That, that was really good that he did that. And so she she helps me a lot in being official with that school and giving me credibility. So. I uh, I really love uh, Mr. Rogers. I'm really obsessed with him. And there's this yeah. great, they're great. Did you watch that movie? Oh, yes. Oh, oh the documentary and the Tom Hanks one. Oh, man, that changed my life. Like, <laughs> yeah, the documentary and the, uh, miss, like, there is, there are maybe five movies that I would say made me change parts of my life. And the uh, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood or Won't You Be My Neighbor? Like that changed a part of who I am. And so if I cried almost all the way through, I was like, yeah, he needs to love his dad. This is so good. <laughs> and so, yeah, sorry. 
Go no, on. no, no. There, there's a really great article of uh, somebody who used to work on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood going through um, talking about the script writing process in like, like the same sort of thing of like, okay, here is the lesson we want kids to know, like don't run in the streets. Like, okay, let's turn it into an encouraging thing. Like uh, listen to your parents. They'll tell you when it's safe to cross. Well, you know, not everyone has a parent and like th- how meticulous he was uh, to shape the message to where it is exactly what he wants to convey. And uh, it's exactly what all students would need to hear, which I feel like a lot of people, if you were to push them on this, certain speakers, they would like rub up against it and be like, why, why are you getting so specific? Like what, what, who cares? Like, it's, it's not that big of a deal, but in reality, like you, it is a big deal because you are talking to kids who are, you know, I mean, yeah, pe- people outside of, um, you know, your experience who are or see things differently or, you know, and you could just, you could end up making that mistake and alienating students in the audience uh, who feel like, you know, and that they already are experiencing shame about what their, how their situation is different. And that can push even more shame onto them. Oh, and for sure. Because when, when you go in there for each and every story uh, that I tell or, or what I'm saying, I'm keeping two different audiences in my mind. Of course, I'm talking to that kid that's dealing with depression. It's like, hey, let me get right down to you. But at the same time, in general, depression is going to affect everyone in that room. Maybe they won't have it, but they're going to know a friend that has it. They're going to run across somebody that's dealt with it. And so it's like, I'm talking to that person that's dealing with it, but at the same time, you kid that's just like, man, this assembly is not for me. I'm going to make sure you understand that person's pain. I'm going to make sure that you have uh, sympathy for or empathy even for that person. And so, yeah, absolutely. You're, you have to make sure that you're not just uh, being surface level. And I think that's sometimes the thing that uh, people... A lot of other, and I shouldn't say that, just sometimes people forget that students, they're, they're deeper than what you think they are. And unfortunately, they have gone through some pretty bad things. And uh, one of my biggest worries for this generation is I can give the same uh, message to adults as I can do with students, and it affects them all the same. What does that say? That mm-hmm. says that these students are dealing with so many big things in their life that the adults are dealing with. So that means that there are two different groups. One group is supposed to be guiding and the other is supposed to be uh, following, but they're all lost. They're all trying to follow. They're all trying to find this path together. And uh, it makes me feel bad because for a student, where do you go when also your mom is dealing with depression? I, and I, I feel I feel bad for those students. And so that's a lot of times why I don't just and this is where I love what my wife does, because I'm not just going in there to make them feel good for the moment. But she helps me in giving those tools to say, hey, maybe this is going on at home, but this is how we can set you up for uh, success. And I'm not a counselor, so I don't want students like asking me, hey, Terrence, how do I deal with this? Hey, Terrence, because I'm not that person. 
I'm going to inspire you. I'm going to motivate you to go to those people that can help you. But I, I will not ultimately be that person. I, uh, I did an event at a church and I was going to talk a lot about confession and vulnerability. Um, so before the event, I did like, uh, cause it was for youth. I did like a parents night to like, Hey, let me tell you about what some of the stuff I'm going to talk about. And let me talk about, um, what you can do to like respond well to it. Like just basically like some pretty basic stuff as far as like, you know, listening non-judgmentally, um, uh, just accepting what they're saying. So like, yeah, how to respond to somebody else's vulnerability. And it was one of the first times I did this training and it was the one time that made me realize like, oh, I need to, at the beginning, remind everyone that I am not a professional counselor. Like that is not my role. It's not what I'm trying to do. Because at one point, like I had a parent, she raised her hand and she was like, my kid cries a lot. And I like tell him to suck it up and not cry so much. Is that wrong? <laughs> and I was like, I don't, I don't know. I'm one, I'm not a parent. And two, like, oh, I'm, I'm not the person to ask. Like, I'm just, let me just be an advocate. <laughs> right. And I think that's a lot of times uh, for church, that's where we go wrong uh, because we're thinking that pastor is going to be our counselor and they're going to be our psychologist and they're going to be our leader. And you, you can't be all those things and you're not set up to have all those tools. And so even as a pastor, I can comfort you. I can tell you what the word says and I can guide you where to look for that, but I, I can't figure out your issues. I can't psychologically know that you're dealing with this. And so it's going to take this, like that is way, my North central education did not teach me anything like that. And so we, I have to make sure that I remember to stay in my lane. Uh, what you said about this generation, I feel like that is so important about like, they are they are dealing with the same stuff that the older generation that should be leading them is dealing with and, and not necessarily like it's it's not the fact that the older generation is dealing with the same thing because like every every generation will like have you know depression or have trauma but like the fact that they're not dealing with it or don't know how to deal with it like uh that's what uh, Brene Brown says um you can't give somebody what you don't have so like if a parent hasn't dealt with their own body image issues, they're not going to know how to help their kid dealing with the same thing. They don't know what kind of help their kid needs. And I feel like that, like, I mean, that, that is so important for, for pastors, for parents, for, for anyone who's like discipling or anyone who's going to be there for someone else. Like you got to deal with your own stuff if you're going to help someone else. Right. And that doesn't mean like, oh, I'm all good. I don't have any body image issues no more. But it's like, I know what I, I am doing to help get me healthy. I know the path that has worked for me. And I want to help you find that same path for yourself. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, uh, there is nobody out here that's like, I'm issue free and everything is great. But we can help to support one another and to, to help each other stay on a road that is healthy. How do you deal with, like, I think about this sometimes, especially with like, I mean, the number of pastors 
who have taken their own lives. And sometimes they are pastors who have been advocates for vulnerability or mental health, or they've talked about their struggles in the past. Um, that like when, when we're the one who gets up on stage and like we are an authority figure on this topic or, you know, we, we, we present ourselves like this is what I've gone through, my story, this is what I've gone through. I'm on the other side. You can be on the other side too. And so like when new issues come up or new shame comes up or that hurt still like props up, like, like I mean, like you said, it's not like you don't still deal with it. But when you are the one on stage, I feel like there's still that fear of like, I have to stay consistent appearing like I've got it all figured out if I want to continue to speak on this. Like, is that ever, I don't know, does that fear ever come into mind? Oh gosh, yes. Yeah. It's, uh, it reminds me of this song, uh, by B.O.B. and it's don't let me fall. And in it, he's like talking about, uh, all the things that happened, but I need your help. Don't let me fall. And we, it, we only think I can't fall. And as pastors, as people on the stage, it's not just, oh yeah, you're going to fail sometimes. But for us, it can be a long fall. And I feel like if we think that our jobs are so thin, that if I make a mistake, I'm done, I'm fired. And then this is something I've been doing all my life. Like, what do you do when you're the pastor of a church for 15 years and you have a failure that now everybody knows about? Where, what kind of job are you going to get now? There's you're not set up. You're, you put your whole life into this and now you're done. That to me is so unhealthy in the church. And this is why we don't talk about our issues. Like you'll see some pastors, but yeah, I've dealt with it, but I'm getting better. Meanwhile, they're dying on the inside. Meanwhile, they're struggling and they don't know who to go to. They don't know uh, if I share this, who's going to tell this person? And, and what happens if these people find out? And it's it breaks my heart that it, there are pastors that don't feel like uh, they can be who they are. Like they're they're struggling in silence. And I obviously I don't agree with anybody taking their life, but man, I. I understand. And, and my heart breaks for that. And yeah, it just makes me really, it makes me be more conscious of really listening, but making sure that they totally understand and know I am not judging you. You can tell me anything. I am the last person that is going to judge you. And so, um, what, what about, okay, I want to go back to in, in school assemblies. How do you like make that first impression? Like how, how do you convince students that you actually care? Yeah. Uh, first, you, you have to get them all on the same boat with you. And that boat is, I, I want, I'm here to have fun with you guys. And I'm here to just be honest with you guys. And so for me, I'll start by doing something fun. And then each story that I tell gets deeper and deeper 
the way I describe it to people is if you're looking at a crowd, let's say you have this big circle and on the bigger the circle, the more outside the people are. So it's like, first, I'm going to reach that loner that's up in that corner that's not talking to anybody that's sitting by themselves. I'm going to do a big story to capture them. I'm going to be like, I know there's somebody in here right now and you feel rejected and you feel like no one cares about you. I'm here to tell you today, I care about you. Now, of course, that person sitting there with their friends are like, who's he talking to? Like, I feel totally cared about. But then every single story is drawing them closer and closer and closer until I get to that middle story. And that middle story is everybody needs a dad hug. Everybody needs a dad that loves them. Everybody, doesn't matter who you are, they have some kind of daddy issues. Either you're missing your dad right now, either uh, your dad has been great and you haven't realized it or paid attention. Maybe your dad hasn't been in the picture. Doesn't matter who you are, I know that that dad hug is going to bring everybody in. But I can't do that unless I reach those far people first and then bring it in closer. That uh, that your, your dad hug is kind of like that. That's like a big um, piece of your, your your speaking and what you do. And I know that that's like something that um, is very memorable to the students. And you've got a lot of like really beautiful stories of kids who really need that. Um, in closing, do you like could could you just share one of the stories of like a, a student that you've connected with uh, through the assemblies? Yeah. Um... There is this uh, one time where I'm sitting there and we go through the whole assembly. And if anybody's listening and you don't know what a dad hug is, dad hug says, I love you and you don't have to do anything for me. Dad hug says, I think you're great and you don't have to be the superstar athlete. You don't have to get straight A's. I just think you're great because you're you. And so as soon as the assembly is done, when it's not a pandemic, uh, we have students come down and they get their dad hug, their mom hug, their friend hug from their teachers. And I'm even there to give them that hug. And so we do that. And next thing I know, this seventh grade boy comes running over to me and he goes, you're my dad now. You're my dad. And I was like, whoa, I was like, what? What's going on? I'm like, I only have two daughters as far as I know. And he goes. I know as that one daughter is me. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you know, Uh, but uh, he goes, I know I've only known you for 45 minutes, but that's 45 minutes longer than I've known my dad. You're my dad now. And it just broke my heart because in that moment that kid saw me as their dad and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself I gotta leave to get to this next school and I don't know if there's going to be anybody maybe he's been at that school and he hasn't been able to connect with anybody and for me it just broke me down and I just or there's another story I'll never forget it 
And you said that you had Dan Herod. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, Dan Herod, maybe he told you this story, but uh, after assembly's done, like we only had, usually for an assembly, we have about 50 to an hour, 50 minutes to an hour, right? So I was like, all right, cool. We get there and the school sometimes, they're thinking that you're just going to be in another assembly program. They're thinking you're just here to pick up that check. And so we get there and they're like, hey, we got some pet rally thing that we're going to do. So we're going to take 50, we're going to take your 50 minutes. And do you mind just doing 20 minutes? I'm like, 20 minutes? Like, it takes me 20 minutes just to get into the second story. We're talking like 20 minutes for everything. So I'm like, the minute that the assembly starts, I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. Here's the story. And then like, by the end of it, I'm thinking, I have totally lost everybody. I'm like, that did not make any sense. But afterwards, these students start coming down. And then all of a sudden, this one student comes down. And he comes in and he gives me a hug and then he puts his arm, his hand out. And so I go to shake it and I can feel that there's some paper right there. And he goes, thank you. And he walked away. Now, at this point, I have all these other students coming up to me. So I just take the piece of paper and I put it in my pocket. So we go to the next school and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I forgot this kid gave me a piece of paper. So I took it out. And on the front of it, it said, to mom. I'm like, oh, snap, this dude, he's giving me the wrong note. I'm no one's mother. But I open it up, and it's this guy's suicide note written to his mom. And he said, mom, I'm so tired of disappointing you. He's like, I can't take it no more. And so we're like, oh, my gosh, I, I didn't know what to do. And so Dan, he took it, and we sent it to that last principal, we get a phone call at seven o'clock that night and the principal goes, I just had to tell you what happened. We found who that student was and we called him and his mom down to the office. Come to find out he wrote this note months ago and he has kept it in his pocket every single day since then. And today was going to be the day that he was going to leave that note for his mom. But he goes, he gave it to you, though, because after the assembly, he knew that there was someone who cared about him. And there is just so many more stories that students, I, you don't realize that you, it doesn't matter if it's an hour or 20 minutes. They need to know that there's hope. And they're, they're ready to just cling on to it because schools are a dark, dark place. And all you have to do is, is bring that light. Everybody always says like, oh, there's, uh, there's no prayer in schools no more. God is, we taking God out of the school. That is wrong. If we are in that school, when I am in that school, God is there with me. And all you have to do is take that with and it changes everything. And like, I feel like those stories also just illustrate exactly what you were saying. Like you're, you're speaking to two different groups. You are giving the message of hope to students who need to hear it, but you're also modeling what it looks like to love and to care for the other people around them. Because like you said, like you, you leave, it's like, I, I'm, I'm gone. Like I don't get to be, 
like a father for you beyond this 45 minutes. But if we create a culture where this kind of love and this kind of support and this kind of like shame defeating um, encouragement and love exists, then there will be others who will be able to pick up where you left off. And like, man, that's so important. And like for, for the parents who are also dealing with depression, like they need to know that they have to deal with it also so that they can turn around and help their kids too. Like, I think that side is just so important. You know, I mean, we, we talk about like the need for vulnerability and, it, and, and it's okay to be dealing with what you're dealing with, but, but reaching the other people in the church who are like, I'm good. Like my, my life's pretty good. Like my parents were there. Everything's fine. Like I got Christ and everything's great. Like, okay, well, great. That's awesome that you're in a season like that right now, which you might not always be in that season, but right now, your role is to be the support for someone else. Someone else needs you. Right. Exactly. And going back to Mr. Rogers, he even says that. He says, always run towards the helpers. And because everybody's going to need a helper and everyone is going to be a helper. And if that's you, then you can go be that helper right now. Yeah, that is so good. Thank you so much for doing this, man. Oh, man, my pleasure. Anytime. And now for something completely different. Here is me and Seth Urbina digging deep into one of the most important topics that you can ever discuss when it comes to philosophy, when it comes to just like life and mankind and what's going on in the world. We're talking about fast food mascots. Hello, everybody. I'm here with my friend, Seth Urbina. Seth, how are you doing? Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> this is the energy I'm bringing to this. Yeah, it's not very good energy. All right, let me try one more Let's time. Let's bring it up. Let's pump it up. Let's okay. pump it up a little okay. bit. Okay, start over, start over, start over. Hey, everybody. I'm here with- What's up? Oh, I'm here with my friend, Seth Urbina. Wow. How are you doing, Seth? Wow. You're doing good? Yeah. Um, we had an idea for a podcast once. That was going to be all about mascots. And each season, we would talk about a different area of mascots. We could go through football mascots. the name of this podcast would have been Figureheads. TM, TM, TM. So this is like a backdoor pilot, which is where you do like a a, a little preview of a product. First, we'll play the theme song for our podcast. Which goes like this. Figureheads, these are the mascots we love. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Figureheads. I'm Taylor. And I'm the mascot you love. We are going to... Let's... Okay, let's decide right here, right now, which fast food mascot would be the best in a fight. Who would defeat all the other ones? Yeah. Now, we got to establish some things here. Okay. We're doing main mascots or does like does Ronald McDonald and the Hamburglar. All of them, all the Hamburglar helper, Let's, I mean, Hamburglar. Yes, you can do all the BK kids, oh. the kid with the visor. 
the one with the wheelchair. The one with the wheelchair. Any one of them. Those are the only two I remember. Windy, and we got also Dave. And we've got real Windy <laughs> What's his from name? the commercial. Dave Thomas. Yes, Dave Thomas. Um, okay, so who do you think would win in a fight? Dave Thomas or Windy? <laughs> no, no, that was his adopted daughter. I mean, yes. So, obviously. <laughs> uh, cartoon Colonel Sanders, I feel like. Well, there's comic book. Colonel Sanders, he got a Green Lantern ring. Did he really? Yes, that's officially Colonel canon. Sanders, he was also a wrestler. Colonel Sanders has been a lot, and of and he's been a RoboCop. Has he really? RoboCop was the Colonel for a little bit. Oh, what is this? Is a mess. I think I think Colonel Sanders is kind of one of those like he's a, he's a not a Colonel Sanders guy. He is a sentient being that takes over the bodies of others. Oh, does that make sense? He possesses you. He possesses like a Mario Odyssey. He's a Mario Odyssey. Yes, yes. When Colonel throws his mustache, his <laughs> goatee at you, and if it lands, it's his on glasses. You, I think it's his glasses. You become colonelized because he colonelized Chester Cheetah. He Did co- he really? Yeah, I have that picture saved on my oh, phone. Oh no, it was used to be my screensaver before. If I got you a were colonelized, what would your special colonel ability be? Um, I can eat all the chicken without my tumby hurting. Without tumba? My tumby. If my tumby starts hurting, then I'd have to stop eating the chicken. But my ability is that my tumby never hurts. But his tumby. That's my never secret caps. That's my secret, Cap. My tumby never hurts. Hamburglar, I think, is a rogue. That's his class, obviously. So he'll have sneak attack. Yes. And he'll have a very high stealth modifier. Grimace is all He's muscle. a tank. He's a tank. Yes, yeah. He has, a, he has at least a 24 strength modifier. And he will... He's impervious. How, yes. How do, you, how do you puncture a Grimace? It's the same way to defeat a Kung Fu Panda. How do you defeat a Kung Fu... You don't. Oh, no. So we established Grimace is the winner. Literally, I can't think of anyone. What is Chick-fil-A's mascot? The cows that can't spell. Oh, cows. You're right, you're right, you're right. And they've got a lot of cows. But. They've got a herd. I could beat up a cow. What? I could easily take down a cow. By punching it? Yes. You could punch a cow out? Wouldn't that really hurt your hand? I don't know if you could beat a cow. I don't. I mean, punching, kicking, just like a cow that's just there by itself. Just surprise, run up, boom, knock it out. But can you ever surprise a cow, really? Uh, If you're standing upwind. (laughs) What about the two Sonic guys? (laughs) (laughs) They're unstoppable. No one can break into their car. Yeah, they could run over Wendy. They could kill all of them while having hilarious conversations. Grimace? Can they run over Grimace? That's true. What's stronger, Grimace or a car? This is the the deciding factor. This has been the question philosophers have been dealing with. It's called the Grimace car paradox. We leave it it as a open end right here with these two finalists. The Sonic guys or Grimace. The two Sonic guys in the car versus Grimace. You know those, like, on Facebook, people will post and be like, if you found out that I got arrested, what crime did you would you yeah, think yeah. I committed? Let's do that, but for each one of the oh, mascots. Okay, 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 here we okay, go. Okay, okay. If you found out that Colonel Sanders got arrested, what did he get arrested for? Probably something racist. Honestly, oh, that's which is, probably true. It's, this is too real. Oh, yeah, we shouldn't have started with him. Oh, <laughs> uh, Colonel. Yep, 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 yep. 
Okay. Anyways, uh, if you found out Wendy got arrested, what did she get arrested for? For not wearing a mask inside. And then oh, no. They called the cops on her. <laughs> I don't like these. <laughs> I'm just giving you the honest. What did Long John Silver do? Murder. Oh, <laughs> Little Caesar. The downfall of Rome. Sir, <laughs> so we're putting you under arrest for the downfall of Rome. Uh, I would have gotten away with it too. Uh, Jack. From Jack in the Box? Yeah. Having a big head. <laughs> That's not a crime. Hey, your head too big. Go to jail. <laughs> That's the perfect insult. Hey, your head too big. No, just... Well, that's a good one, too. Your head too big. Go to jail. But just like the ultimate side of disrespect and just be like, shut up. Go to jail. <laughs> okay, how about this? You got a big head. Go to jail. As a t-shirt. Oh, that's a good t-shirt. <laughs> I didn't know what it was. I thought you were just saying what we've been saying. What would Chuck E. Cheese go to jail for? He would go to jail for rat being a rat. He's a rat. He, he The mob, the mafia, Don, came to him with secrets. And he went to the police. Mm. Ain't, ha- ain't that the way it goes with these mobsters? <laughs> what is this? Who's this guy? It's me. You know, I'm talking about the you know the, the gangs, the mobsters. What is Grimace going to jail for? I think Grimace would be arrested for public nudity. <laughs> That's a good one. That's true. Because he's just nigging. Uh, any final thoughts on um, mascots? mascots? I think they're cool. I think they do influence my shopping habits very much. When I see a cool mascot, I definitely buy more. Who do you think is the coolest mascot working today? I don't know. Right now, the last mascot I saw was the Carl's Jr. star. That's it. Mm, man, I love Carl's Jr. All right, let's go. No, there's one right next to me, like literally a minute from my apartment. Oh, lucky. All right, thank you, Seth. Bye. Bye. I want to thank Terrence Talley for coming on the podcast. If you want to learn more about what he does, you can go to his website, terrencetalley.com. You can find a link to it in the show description. I want to thank Seth for being on the show. I want to thank Glendon. I want to thank all of you. Uh, Please pray for me during this time. Apparently, I am negative for COVID, but still, I'm trapped alone in my apartment, and I could still use your prayers. But that is it for the episode. We have come to the end. It's all over. Uh, see you again in two weeks for another episode. Uh, Thanksgiving's coming up, guys. What do you got planned? What's going on? I'm going to eat apple pie. That's all I care about. That's all that's important. To, I mean, like family, that's important. But like, I'm really excited about that apple pie. So we'll see you in two weeks for a new episode. Please uh, be sure you subscribe. Tell the show about a friend. Nope. Tell a friend about the show. You can tell the show about a friend. You want to send me an email about a friend of yours. Just tell me how nice your friend is. Just tell me about who's your best friend. Email me, taylor at taylorjohnsononline.com. I'm not scared. I'll get that email. That's the end of the episode. I want to thank Jordan Combs and Lucky Star for the use of their songs in the episode. And that is it. We're done. It's over. Goodbye.